0: Nick Bostrom said this in the super intelligence book. The reason why human beings who are physically weaker than gorillas, the reason that their fate is in our hands is because of our superior intelligence. So the analogy is you do not actually want a being that is way more intelligent than you, that either A, hates you, or more likely doesn't care about you. So let's talk about about something called... Yeah, That's doesn't it. really care about you. It doesn't hate you, but doesn't care about you, which is where the the whole AI safety debate comes in.
1: Hey there. Welcome to another episode of the Concurrency Podcast, we're your hosts. I am Steve Kubica. I am Haman Kibue. Nice. How have you been, Haman? Great, great. How have you been, Steve? I've been good. And, um, yeah, today we are diving into the world of generative models. And this is just a fancy term for machines that can create stuff like images, music, and even text. It is a fascinating field that's seen some pretty amazing developments over the years. So speaking of amazing developments, all of us have seen that text completion feature on our phones or computers. You know, the one where you start typing something and the machine guesses what you're going to say next. That is actually a type of generative model. So it uses statistical methods to guess what word or phrase you're likely to use next based on what you've typed so far. But this thing doesn't stop there. In recent years, researchers have taken this idea and run with it, creating something called language models. These models are like text completion features on steroids. They can take partial sentences and generate a whole paragraph or even an entire article. They are called LLMs or large language models. And they are some of the most powerful generative models out here. So we have to talk about them with the whole ChatGPT craze and everything. And who better to talk to about generative models and LLMs and foundational models than the man himself, Tim Sankara. What's up, Tim? Hey, (laughs) quite the introduction. Thank
0: you, thank you, thank you.
1: It was was written by ChatGPT. It was written by (laughs) ChatGPT. No! (laughs) (laughs) No, no, no.
0: I (laughs) promise I wouldn't have known. That is so human.
1: That was quick. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I'm, oh, I'm, oh I, I mean, that is, Okay, I that
0: was about right to
2: comment to like, episode. "Oh, Steve, what happened today? You are very perfect." <laughs> yeah,
0: let me say, let me say this: like, maybe I would not up so, like, like I had the least hunch. What's going on? So I was like, "Oh, um, that's really eloquent." So, mm, okay, okay. That is, um, I
1: told you, I'm going to do something, and then I'm going to introduce you. But then I did not want to tell you I'm going to read the script from ChatGPT. Wow, G- <laughs> that
0: is crazy good. <laughs> Yeah, I mean... That's awesome. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah, so what's up, Tim?
0: I'm good, I'm good. I'm happy to be here. Uh, thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. Excited for this episode.
1: Nice. Um. So, yeah, just uh, a, a brief intro about yourself and what exactly you do. So, yeah.
0: Yep. right. My name is Tim Sankara. I'm a software engineer and lead junior researcher at the... Small company of AI in education called Rookie.com. Yeah, so essentially that's what pays my bills. But I'm also like a software engineer in like a stealth AI safety research lab where we are trying to like find alternate architectures to try and solve this whole interpretability issue in AI, which essentially is what brought me here. Yeah, for
2: yeah. sure. So the that is the, the stealth term. da <laughs> ah, uh uh-huh. I've yeah, they're working
1: open. in style. Uh, like yeah, like Open yeah. AI. Open AI has set the standards of working in <laughs> uh,
0: <laughs> They're not too open really, but anyway.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um yeah. so again, um like like the intro said, um we've we've pretty much all experienced um, generative models at some point. If you have a smartphone, you have if you have used Google. Google Translate, you have experienced them. Okay, definitely everyone at this point has probably used ChatGPT, but then this is way before. Let, let us talk before ChatGPT. Mm-hmm. And so, let us, take us down, take us down memory lane and see how we got here. Yeah. Mm.
0: Like with whole AI stuff and how we actually go here from the start. Yes. Right, so... Ah, uh, in my brief understanding, it's like AI has been this journey, like there has been decades in the making and throughout there have been pauses that are called like AI winters that essentially the whole of the technology space and humanity had to go through. So it started in the 1950s, actually 1930s. There were some researchers who are like trying to look at how we can understand data and like make connections between them so this was the start of the very first generative algorithms like data structures that have like disturbed people called the markov chains and the like genetic algorithm this was in the 50s 60s and this led us into the 1980s and early 70s if i'm not wrong there was a guy called david cope and he came up with the harmonization system, essentially, it's like a system that was trying to, like, generate a neural network to generate new music by doing what AI does, find patterns in music in, like, the style of a given artist and, like, try and come up with new music that is super novel in the same, like, artist style. Like, if you give it music by Jay-Z, they will understand what Jay-Z is doing and try and generate new music that sounds okay. like it's coming from Jay-Z. Right. So this led us into the 1980s and 1990s. In between there, there was a guy called Jan Lekun and he's Lecan, Lecun. He's the real lead researcher of Meta AI, pretty cool guy. So 1980s, other ag- algorithms such as the box, if I'm not wrong, by Michael. And it was like a sort of rule-based approach to generate new sentences. And it was really cool because people were like, this is the start of something new that was used in the 2000s and 2010s. So a guy called Ian Goodfellow, I think he was working at Google at the time, is mm-hmm. the one who came up with a very awesome algorithm, which is called the Generative Adversarial Network, the GAN. Ian is still around and he's the author of the deep learning book that's super recommended by a lot of like researchers in like the AI field and the neural networks. So the gun was, as the name says, it's like a competition between two neural networks, the generator and the discriminator, quite funny terms. But essentially what it did was open up the field to a lot of what is being done today by coming up with novel approaches that the old machine that the neural network itself can use to like self correct, and constantly improve. So, yeah, that's the gun. And then in 2017, there was a paper. It had the most innocuous name possible. It was called Attention is All You Need. And these people, I I really don't think they knew how much that paper would be awesome because it introduced an architecture called the Transformer, which is what has brought us to what we have today. So the Transformer is like an architecture for neural networks that has... A mechanism called attention mechan an attention mechanism and if you scale it large enough you can have super amounts of data that can be used in natural language processing and a bit in generative models for the, in diffusion models sorry so that's where openai came in and in late I wouldn't really give a date maybe in 2018 they came up with the general purpose transformer and open sourced it but at the same time, it had a lot of issues. It wasn't really super awesome. But it was, it wasn't really as super awesome as you can see it, uh, as you can see. GPT. Yeah. So is just to,
2: today. for the sake of uh, everyone, the general purpose transformer is the GPT now.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. GPT. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so is it general purpose transformer or generative pre-trained transformer? Jesus Christ. Yeah,
0: yeah it's so generative pre-trained transformer. <laughs> it's generative, but I usually call it like. General purpose, because it's super, like, large, because it, it just goes yeah. across a corpus of purposes. And the reason I actually, like, had that, like, slip is because it has a few features called zero-shot learning and few-shot learning, which makes it, that's where the general purpose comes in. So it's generative, okay. pre-trained transformers. Yeah. Okay. So that's so, essentially
1: mm-hmm. the point at which we are right now. So for a bit of context, um, around the same time this paper is coming out, the the... I mean, I've, I've kind of read the paper, The Transformer, A Novel Neural Network Architecture for Language Understanding by Google. So for, for a bit of context, around the same paper, uh, around the same time this Transformer paper is coming out from Google, other things are happening in another area of AI, machine learning. And we are seeing this uh, mushrooming of um, sort of machine learning algorithms, um, the likes of XGBoost and the... And the continuation of um, this decision trees and stuff like that, much, basically models that you will train to do very specific tasks, right? And mm-hmm. on this other side, we are having the transformers, the transformer happening, and the transformer basically builds a foundation for creating now what are essentially called foundational models that are doing general stuff. That is why you're, you 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 are you are referring to it as general purpose but then on this other side we have very specific purpose stuff Mm. and so yeah that is sort of we have two paradigms happening sort of at the same time i mean that was Mm. that was an interesting part of it but then for the for the okay for the sake of this could we just go back to machine learning a bit and just talk about some concepts in machine learning yeah sure sure um what specifically would you like us to
0: like discuss maybe
1: So machine learning in general, just a very brief overview of what machine learning is and how things Mm -hmm. compare between the the side of machine learning and this other side of um, having general purpose um, models.
0: Right. So, yeah, yeah, we really like started off in the deep end. So (laughs) machine learning, essentially, like in the simplest terms, the way I like tell it to anyone on the street is trying to understand data And come up with either classifications or predictions on the data. And yeah, so that's how the best I can do it. So how we do it is through stuff that's called models. So models are like frameworks to try and understand data. And essentially make predictions or maybe classifications. So, right. So that's the simplest way I can like put it.
1: Yeah. Um. So so let us go back to generative models. I mean, that is why we're mm. we here. So mm. let us, uh, if, could you look at, could you just discuss how generative models work and what are some of the different types of uh, generative models that exist?
2: Yeah, and is generative model like a, just a smart Google? Like it have its source of data <laughs> and then it is going there and fetching the data and uh, presenting to us or how right. is it makes the decisions, yeah.
0: So yeah, this is like falling super in tune with what we were discussing like right now about machine learning. So generative AI in and of itself is a class of machine learning algorithms that can generate new data or content. This data can be like images, text, or music. And essentially the generated text or music mimics a style of a car- or a characteristic of existing data. Cause essentially machine learning algorithms understand current data. So it hasn't got to the point where new and novel techniques have come up that can generate extremely novel output. But at the moment, the state of the art can generate styles and characteristics of existing data pretty well. Like people can't tell that it's like copied from a certain place. So there's several types of AI, generative AI algos. So I'll start with the most like super basic. And then as we go down into like the super like state of the art, mm-hmm. there's auto encoders. And um, I think it was variable auto encoders. Variational, variational auto encoders. I may be careful with the words now since I say GPT was general purpose. So yeah, so, so, so auto encoders are things that are called neural networks. But I'll come back to what neural networks are that try to like learn and compress data such as images or text. Remember it's generative. And by training an autoencoder or a variational autoencoder on a dataset, it can learn in and of itself to generate new original content that is similar to like the data that you gave it in the start, like the input. So variational don't really like have super huge difference from autoencoders. So we like go back to the generative adversarial networks, which are what Ian Goodfellow like, like discovered. So they are a type of the planning algorithm, which is also a term we'll come back to, that consists of two neural networks. As I said, the generator and the discriminator. The generator learns, as like how to generate new data based on what's already been given. The discriminator like tries and see, this new data that has been generated, is it like real or is it fake? And if I detect it is fake, how can I help the generator to actually come up with better and better and better, like in outputs? So between these two, they can actually improve each other consistently all the time. This one yeah. is generating They'll keep fake. on
2: learning from each other. Yeah.
0: They'll keep on <laughs> learning from each other. This one is like the generator is like generating like super good outputs, And now the discriminator cannot tell. So. Essentially, now the generator is super good at the data that it was given. If it was given a picture of maybe generate pictures of books, now it can generate pictures of books super well, so much so that the discriminator cannot tell at all that it's not as good as people want them. Like it's not fake, right? So Mm -hmm. coming back to like the most cutting edge at the moment, uh, generative AI models, they're called the transformers. Which are a type of neural network that is used for NLP, uh, translation, and text generation. Like, and they use that very novel text self-attention mechanism. And the self-attention mechanism, in and of itself, is what was like put out in the super like novel paper in 2017. Like, it was not really a form of a long short-term memory, something called an LSTM but in and of itself, it was novel. So, right. And how many you asked, like, is Google a smarter, you said, like, is generative AI a smarter version of Google? That was the question, right? Yeah. I don't think so. I don't think generative AI in and of itself is a smarter version of Google. What it is, is the one, generative AI finds pattern in existing data and through a certain level of, Understanding the data, I, I really use the term "understanding" because it's super debatable. It's also like a philosophical discussion. Do LLMs or large language models, in a, in one of this case, actually understand what they're doing, or they just find patterns and try to re, to replicate yeah. them? So, yeah, yeah.
1: So, 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 um, just again, like building up on that, um, <laughs> and Haman and I have had that discussion like an hour ago, whether. Don't. LLMs, LLMs are actually, LLMs are not knowledge models. Um, they they are just been trained on a lot of a lot of data in a way that now it is able to predict that next token. I mean, we'll get to that when you talk about ChatGPT and how actually ChatGPT works. And yeah. but then um, going back again to this um, attention mechanism and the transformer paper, the transformer paper gives a, a an example of um text translation translating from english to french you know when you're doing translation it is not usually word by word translation if you are to take an english text and translate it to french it is not a word by word translation it is usually trying to understand the context of the statement and now translating the statement according to the context and that is where the attention mechanism comes in it tries to identify the context of of whatever is is being told instead of just trying to 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 like try and predict um the yep. the sequence the next uh, yeah yeah and so that is that is that's thats that is what essentially gives um the transformer model that huge ability it has so yeah mm-hmm. yeah um yeah
0: yeah 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 like you know I, First things first, I'm like super interested to hear like the philosophical discussions or maybe just the discussion you guys had about if they truly understand that's first. But also second, um, the mechanism in and of itself, like the whole issue of context really comes into play. So the history of it was something called Word2Vec, which was created at Google in 2012. And in and of itself, context is what gives the Transformer its power. So, as I said, there's something called the LSTM's long-term, long, short-term memory. In and of itself, it has three gates. I'm really, like, trying not to be ultra-technical. In and of itself, (laughs) it has, like, three gates. Uh, It's the one that tries to forget stuff, and the other two, let me try and recall. Maybe you could know them. So, the Transformer is, like, a scale-up of the LSTM, in a way. And that's, mm-hmm. that is what like allows it to like find the proper weights for a certain neural network. And the reason why at the moment there's so much is- issues with interpretability is as much as we have described these things in a very abstract way and we can recreate them, do we truly know how they fully work in and of themselves? Why does a computer, why can a computer like say that a certain word in English Cannot be translated in a certain way in French because French has a certain context that has been that is being missed by literal translation. You get, so yeah, it's it's still like it's super nascent stages of this stuff. It's super nascent yeah. stages.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah. If we, if you we went into that, then we started talking about um, the the components of transformers, the encoders and decoders, and maybe we shouldn't. Maybe we shouldn't. But then, yeah. Um, <laughs> do we (laughs) no we could but you know uh you tell me (laughs) okay (laughs) at the very base of it a a transformer has two components an encoder and a decoder they're they're not Hmm. necessarily two you could have multiple encoders and multiple decoders but then Hmm. the, the 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 purpose of encoders is to try and um so find encodings in the input. So you've given it an input of a text and you're telling mm. it, um, I crossed the river to, to the bank. So in this case, it knows the bank is not the institution, the bank, it is the bank, the bank of a river. So mm. the encodings yeah. are able to, to generate encodings and find input in that input sequence, and then pass that input sequence to the decoder, and then the decoder will find context. And then now from Mm -hmm. that, now it can make the decision that given this context here, the bank is not the bank, the institution, it is the bank of a river. So what is the equivalent of bank of a river in French? And so now Mm -hmm. the statement will be contextually correct because it is, Mm -hmm. it won't do line by line translation, but we will try and find the the general context of the statement. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so those are transformers. So before Mm -hmm. we get into it, um, maybe you should go through, because I mean, we are focusing too much on LLMs. Um, We could do a bit of um, examples of generative models. And then from there, now we can choose the one we tackle.
0: Like actual examples.
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: Okay. There's the general purpose transformers in and of themselves. There's one created by stability AI. Can you
1: hear me? We are still calling them general purpose transformers.
0: I'm telling you, this thing has been in my head for so long. Yeah, <laughs> generative. Yeah, like you know, I work. That's what we refer you to to it as, like, in circles. Anyway, yeah. Okay. Sorry for that. So, one thing is for sure that there's the GPT series of yes, of models. There's Palm that had like a demo from Google, and then there's the diffusion models, which are a bit more image oriented, these are like stability AI's model, mid journey. Uh, what else? Which other ones are there? You tell me,
1: um, uh, does Dali too also Dali. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. Dali, the Dali series of models. Yeah. Okay. So for this one, I guess you're going to track, tackle the one that people more than, more than most, more than most, eh? know the most. Eh? Yeah. So the GPT series. Mm-hmm. And so, for the GPT series, um, before we get into it, I mean, uh, if you've read uh, Bill Gates' article on the edge of AI has begun, um, the first the first statement in in the article is, so I'm reading it.
0: Mm-hmm. In
1: my lifetime, I have seen two demonstrations of technology that struck me as revolutionary. The first time was in 1980 when I was introduced to a graphical user interface, the forerunner of every modern operating system, including Windows. And then it goes on. The second big surprise came just last year. I'd been in a meeting with a team from OpenAI since 2016 and was impressed by their steady progress. In mid 2022, I was so excited about their work and I gave them a challenge. Train an artificial intelligence to pass the advanced placement biology exam AP Bio. Make it capable of answering questions that it hasn't been specifically trained for. I picked AP Bio because the test is more than a simple regurgitation of scientific facts. It asks you to think critically about biology. If you can do that, I said, then you'll have made a true breakthrough. I thought the challenge would keep them busy for two or three years. They finished in just a few months. Wow end quote. So Bill Gates says he, the first time he experienced uh, the team of OpenAI and ChatGPT is the feeling he felt, the first time he felt that feeling was in 1980 when he saw the graphical user interface. And I mean, we all know how much the graphical user interface means right now. It yeah. It is basically the everything we do. And so now here, he's comparing that feeling to this feeling of um, generative models. And so, I mean, it is pretty mind-blowing if you think about it. So, yeah. Tim, Why what is do you think about deal?
2: that uh, statement?
0: You know, there's a fallacy called appeal to authority when someone who is in power and who seems to be in a position <laughs> of knowledge says something, and mm-hmm. I'm usually very careful of it. But in this case, you know, Bill Gates quite has some authority. And when he says it in and of itself, I think it's it's fairly true. Like Chad GPT and generative purpose, generative pre, pre-trained transformers are are really like the beginning of the knowledge age. I agree with him. I agree with him, based yeah. on just even my own personal observations of the capabilities of what they can do. It's mm-hmm. quite it's quite awesome. It's quite awesome.
1: Okay, so that is that is why it is a big deal. Right. Um so maybe if we focused on Chat GPT a bit, um, how specifically is this thing trained and how does it do what it is able to do?
2: Yep, on a higher level.
1: Yeah.
0: On a higher level. Yeah. Yep, yep. So I think I could go back to like why it's a big deal just a bit. So okay. the first thing is like this team was able to like take a paper from other people. And recreate its its whole essential like being and then create it in such large scale. The GPT three the GPT three model had around 175 billion parameters, which was the biggest model ever built. This allowed it to like remarkably generate data or text that was similar to a lot of the patterns that it was able to like get in the data that it was trained on, it was super large. And then another thing is its ability to have zero short learning, which is its ability to like generate questions and answers from text it has never seen before just by referring to the context. And then there was few short learning. Sometimes you just give it a few examples and you can actually like, like essentially create what you need from it and generate text from it. And then there was also, like, I think this was the biggest mind-blowing thing about it. It was just how large-scale the range of applications it could, like, cover. So that's, I think that's why I call it general purpose, because it's super broad range of applications. So, yeah. So what was the second part? Like, how it works on a super high level.
1: Yeah. Yeah. On a super high level, yeah. it's is it, like... Is it, yeah. is it a knowledge model, or is it... But does it actually know what it is saying or is it just trying to predict that next thing? <laughs> yeah, based on vectors, like
2: it's trying to predict the next uh, pattern. But I, I think uh, with the overview that we've given, uh, it is learning from that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So given, I, I really, it's, it's super philosophical right now. I really wouldn't say it knows what it's. You know, it's a really large leap when you say something actually knows something. That's like a a super large, this is attributing human qualities, proper human qualities to Mm -hmm. a mathematical model, a super large mathematical model, I must admit. But epistemically, does the model in and of itself know or it just understands the patterns or actually is aware of certain patterns that it can re-replicate? Yeah. So that's a question like super philosophical. So on a large scale, It's on like a super high level. It's just during training, which is from the large corpus of text, text, the model learns to predict the next word initially. And then it is fine tuned via various mechanisms, maybe RLHF, which is reinforcement learning from human feedback. And then the fine tuning adapts to like the pre-trained language model to a specific task. But what OpenAI I do think they've been able to achieve is to generalize, the general purpose comes in now, to generalize these approaches over a large amount of, like, applications. That's, like, essentially what they've been able to do. You know, it's it's a proprietary model. We don't have, like, a lot of what is going on inside it and how they're actually doing it. But I'd say it's super impressive that they've been able to generalize a lot of the text that they have to apply across a wide range of applications and prompts for users. There's an issue with that, which is obviously that sometimes they can't do it fully aware of what they're doing. Like they may have data that is not as clean as they want it to be, but it's super impressive so far.
1: Yeah, so thinking about that and also considering the fact that this thing is semi-supervised, so they may not have they may not have those um, insights on actually even the data that they themselves are feeding to this thing. And so that is why you have those biases coming up because, I mean, if they are training it on data from the internet, data from the internet is very biased. So you, you sure. generally will receive that those hints of biasness in the, in the data. And I mean, that is one of the concerns with this thing. And, um, Yeah, So so again, an hour ago, Herman and I were talking and he told me about this article he wrote using ChatGPT. I mean, I also read an entire script from ChatGPT and he thought it was awesome. <laughs> so like with everything, like with, um, I, I remember, okay, I don't remember, wasn't there. When when the calculator was invented, there was a big fuss that um, that will be the end of mathematics and how mathematics is known, Yeah, yeah. but then it wasn't. <laughs> Uh, the calculator just sort of I mean, just enhanced it it acted as a tool of, of how we 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 learned mathematics and stuff. And even when the computer came, there was again a big fuss that it is going to replace us. And so so in this case, is ChatGPT a tool that is going to enhance our creativity and our abilities as humans or is it going to make us less creative because we'll just be reading stuff it says and we'll be asking it to do everything for us?
2: Yeah. Uh, For instance, in that uh, article, I think uh, uh, I tried writing a a different article. I think it was uh, something like a book club that uh, we were doing some articles just to to examine our writing skills. But okay, I was out completely, literally. Like I would, okay, I, I have the thoughts of the things I want to write, but I'm sort of compressing them into one sentence and becoming very, very hard. Like, I I have nothing to write. But the next uh, time, what I did is, I just uh, wrote the topic on ChatGPT, it generated. And then now I I do the same things multiple times. And then I read those things and create, now, uh, an article out of that. And uh, it was amazing. It was good. Yeah. So. The question that I think uh, Steve is asking is, uh, is that going to enhance our creativity really? Because we are just taking outputs and uh, uh, sort
1: of like, yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. Mm. I think it depends on how we choose to adopt it because regardless, these technologies are here to stay. Like, you know, um, <sighs> how we adopt it. So if maybe schools decide to adopt these technologies and students can focus on like super knowledge like actually proving that they understand something rather than just regurgitating facts which is what chat gpt does by the way as like currently or maybe gpt3 what it used to do just regurgitating facts i think it will be a super good tool because the calculator doesn't mean someone doesn't understand one plus one you actually need to understand one plus one for you to be, able, to be able to use a calculator. In this case, um, right? it's given back to the issue of it being super nascent stages. I'd be of the opinion that it may curtail certain levels of creativity, especially on the image front, because why would I want to become an artist if my art can be copied in seconds? You know? But at the same time, I do think it will free up the human spirit from tasks that are super non useful. And it may bring us maybe to you. something like, yeah, like trivial tasks, like maybe drafting an email that or drafting a coherent reply to an email that is super important for you. You could just like give it the basic ideas and it helps you. Yeah. And this also comes into the issue of maybe will it take my job? It may. It may take your job in future. Mm-hmm. At the moment you're fairly safe. But given with how fast the last two years, two years have been, pro like proceeding, yeah, I'd be, it
1: it would be foolhardy for me to make any predictions, <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. I can see the gaze on your eyes <laughs> breaking.
1: Yeah, because because again we had this conversation and then I had this same conversation with Tim the yesterday. There, um, mm-hmm. I mean, if 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 you're a software engineer, if you write code in one way or the other, you've definitely tried out Copilot and Copilot is pretty good. And yeah, so uh, AWS released Code Whisperer. I mean, it has been there for a while. Um, and it is also essentially coming in to do pretty much the same thing. So, and I mean, Haman and I talked about this and it was, when it comes to you writing line by line, at the moment, at the very moment, Copilot is just that, an AI assistant to write code. But then Definitely we are looking at the point where um, in the work office we if you are five developers, one of them is copilot, entirely copilot. So copilot, you you assign copilot a ticket, it takes that ticket, does the thing, pushes the code, someone reviews the code and then you merge the code. I mean I that day is definitely coming. So
2: mm-hmm.
1: yeah. And uh, yeah.
2: I think my check on the creativity our story is the uh, you see, like on the creativity part, like writing code, like implementing actual implementation. I don't think it is the creativity, the, 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 the creativity in the work mm-hmm. because it is factual, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But now it will free up uh, our time, I think, to think now of the things that we would like to change in the world. And then now, like, you you knowing that uh, the implementation part is not a big issue. I'll just look for a developer who understands the architecture part and stuff. And then now one developer can do ten people... Uh, I'm well, not sure how I feel about that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so OpenAI Open releases this paper, and they talk about how forty-nine percent of the workforce is going to be replaced. And then they're like, "Okay, so where do these people go?" And then they say, "We as humans are going to focus on more things that are much more important." I mean, for yeah. the last few for the last few hundred years, all you've known is industrialization and capitalism. Like the the entire of society is built on capitalism. So yeah, definitely, capitalism is going to drive people out. But then where, mm-hmm. what are these people going to do? And so, anyway. I actually
0: think on the same, yeah? It's something that we were discussing with a friend in the like, AI safety community. The same, same concern of if all of us are replaced, or maybe a large majority of software engineers, knowledge workers are replaced by this stuff, where will they go? So he brought up the issue of a post-scarcity economy being the best way for humanity to actually survive in the future. A post-scarcity economy, just a TLDR on the same, is like a, it's a theoretical situation where the basic needs are super affordable or at the very least super cheap. Like, that's the best way because it'll give people, if air replaces you, at the very least, social anarchy will not be there because you know at least you can afford a house, food, healthcare, at the very least, yeah? Because yeah. the technology has come, you have no work. And it will just reduce the chances of people being like either against the, the the knowledge revolution, which is AI, or at the very least, the social anarchy that will come about by people actually being replaced and not in jobs, but they don't have food. So yes. it's part of the whole AI governance space
1: at the moment. Oh, let me take another very pessimistic view. And this is what okay. I think, I think us in the region of the world where we are in Africa, sub-Saharan Africa, this, so if you look at a country like Germany, so, and most European countries, you have, at the very least, as a, as a citizen of the country, you have full medical cover, and you have some sort of cushion that you are, you are allowed, you know, but then us, as we're already suffering from lack of infrastructure and lack of things like universal healthcare, so when, when people start getting out of jobs, so it is definitely going to become a very big, big issue mm-hmm. so anyway before things become gloom and stuff so let us take an optimistic side of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah so like there is are, something are... where,
2: yeah there is okay. this thing called now tuning whereby as you've said uh,
1: the wait um yeah okay
2: yeah so on the optimistic side I think uh there is this thing uh called tuning so tuning as you as you've stated, the Gpt uh model that we are currently using it is so general like it is very very generalized so I think uh there is there there are very very many options to sort of build something on top of it that does something that is very very specific, let's say to a very given specific industry, so yeah. I think that's a, another opportunity on
1: top of it that would uh, mm-hmm. be very very
2: good for for an engineer. That's yeah. my
1: thought. Yeah. Yeah. So 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 because we are all software engineers, uh, and mm-hmm. with everything we try and look for the opportunities that exist. So yeah, what mm-hmm. are some of the opportunities that exist with um generative models and stuff?
0: So. There's the safety front. So one of the opportunities, the biggest opportunities right now most people can have, especially if you're like math savvy, is to go into a research firm. Either there are so many, like there's so many like research firms, the alignment research center, center, open AI, Anthropic. And like try and give your skills. And give your best to the whole company in trying to, one, scale these models and also, like, understand how they work, which is a super huge space that I'm personally, like, into called mechanistic interpretability. Why do these neural nets do a certain thing? How can we understand them in a way that won't mess all of us up? How do we try and limit their abilities and align them to human incentives? I do think that's the biggest opportunity right now for these LLMs as a software engineer. Or at least for in the journey towards artificial general intelligence or super artificial general intelligence. That's the most like obvious opportunity. The second opportunity is just like to try and exploit these tools as much as possible. Like make yourself the most productive engineer you've ever been. Like avoid writing mm-hmm. a simple test just because you can describe it in a comment and just write quick. Like avoid manual writing and just like use Copilot, comment the test that you want, and it just generates it for you, and you're super productive by day so yeah those are some of the biggest opportunities obviously there's risks to using this stuff some of the code may be super buggy um us generating these us you know this is one of the biggest issues that if we have ai that can generate code and it's not aligned to human values um what stops it from re-replicating itself or maybe creating itself secretly to a level that we can't control it and it takes over the world in a way. It sounds so utopian, but I can actually mm-hmm. give an example of that and how it can happen. So mm-hmm. yeah.
2: Yeah. Donating so your I time think, uh, and
0: resources to to AI that, safety is a big thing.
2: Yeah. So I think uh Steve, that goes in line with what you are stating. Like uh it sort of makes you very, very dependent on it. I think that was another thing that we mentioned. Like a uh, yeah. after using the let's even chat GPT uh, GPT it, it it sort of makes you like you very very dependent upon it so I think that's another aspect of it
1: yeah mm. yeah okay on something that you have we we haven't discussed and Haman has mentioned it tuning I mean um, I like to think about myself as a product person I'm assuming you all are I mean Tim rookie.com Haman also does awesome stuff Um. So when it comes to tuning, and we we discussed tuning and prompt engineering in the same space, as not just as developers who write code, but then developers who actually care about products and are interested in building products. So how do we leverage this space of generative AI to actually build products that people will care about?
0: Right. So, come again, the question was, how do we leverage... AI to actually build products that people care about.
1: Yes, and that in relation to um, tuning and prompt engineering.
0: Right, so first is actually understanding the space that you're in. I mean, as product people, we know understanding the customer is super good. But this time is one, understanding the customer that you're trying to like be the product for, but also understanding the technology. Because you find, especially for GPT-3, there were models, there were applications of GPT-3 that weren't really super good for you, let's say, maybe in education and there are better ones out there. So maybe if you keep abreast of all these super fast changes, the faster they go, the better they, these models become. Um, if you keep abreast of these technological advances, you place yourself in a position to one, help your company and also help yourself, Um, you know? Yeah. yeah. So that, that's how I think we should like position ourselves as purely as product people.
1: Yeah. I think another interesting thing is, it is important that we think about, say, um, these open AI models and pretty much even sort of the models that exist other places like Hugging Face, um, mm-hmm. as foundational models. They provide you with mm-hmm. a foundation to do something else. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, there are pretty much a lot of startups that are going to prop up, and we're, you're going to call yourself an AI startup, and all you have is an AI. Po- AI call to API call, an API call to Mm -hmm. OpenAI. But then the the reason why it is a foundational model is that you can build on top of it and then do other things, specific things that you'd want to do. And I mean, that is basically the tuning that we've been talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And yeah, so, so, so I'm going to bring us back to a couple of something we had mentioned before, and these are the challenges. So just to build this up, um, the reason why um, ChatGPT was, uh, and GPT was able to be trained on 175 billion data points is because the data was there. And um, I mean, social media and the growth of Web2 has basically built up the, the collection of data that now has come to this point where these models can be trained. One of the biggest drawbacks of these models right now is the compute costs, what it actually costs to 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 train these things. So is the next frontier of computing supercomputers? Because now there's actually the need for 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 reducing compute cost and doing and training huge models. What what are your mm. thoughts? Both of you actually. <laughs> In and of idea. themselves.
0: Yeah, yeah. in and of themselves. I'd say, you know, supercomputers essentially exist because this is a rumor, like it's not like super confirmed. But there were articles online that said the cluster that that is on Azure that OpenAI uses to train their models is the biggest supercomputer ever created on Earth. You know, like I'd say there's a super huge demand right now for compute. I see GPUs are really in demand right now and not because of the crypto stuff. Now it's purely because of how much these networks need to actually be able to train themselves. But at the same time, I'd say, hmm, would I actually say that the next frontier of computing, like hardware computing, if I may say, is supercomputers? I don't think so. I think it's quantum computers and all the various capabilities and improvements in speed have they have over just traditional computers.
2: Yeah, okay. Herman, what do you think? They need... I think uh tim has mentioned it all uh i would also go for the quantum computing uh stuff because of uh, the efficiency and the cost thing
1: yeah yeah and i mean if you look at it if you look at it in nvidia nvidia as a company is doing very well so i mean that is also one of the one of the check check marks that you'd say oh actually there's actually a great demand in in reducing computing cost and increasing this yeah the ability to train models. So yeah yeah I guess uh I guess
2: but I think uh in a in a small scale level uh the resources that we have uh, they're enough for <laughs> for the product builders
1: yeah yeah right? definitely definitely yep. yeah um, yeah, yeah
0: and it's it's getting cheaper like I don't know if you guys ha- have heard about Alpaca AI, the Stanford clone of ChatGPT, that was trained yeah. entirely on ChatGPT output for $600. I have not looked at that paper, but I was like, what? $600? Call me in. <laughs> That's okay. I'm fine with that. That sounds really like promising. But at the same time, it, its limitations are up to what ChatGPT does. It really can't have reasoning beyond that, but it's a good base to start. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I yeah. do think it. The, the costs. If we are to have like small institutions or maybe even individuals building these models themselves, the cost of compute really has to come down, like much more than. And credit to all the companies that are out there, like trying to work on bringing it down, the AWS's, the Azure's, but it has to come way down for it to be as democratic as people want.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay. Sure, sure. So I think uh, as we close, uh, there is. Something uh Kibuka was thinking about and I think it is a very good uh, idea that we have like a, let's say two instances of uh Chat GPT talking to each other and then we see yeah. maybe we judge from how they are they are concluding their yeah. their conversation uh, a given topic. Is it emotionally or what?
1: Yeah, I mean as an overkill as an overkill what we to what we'll do is yeah, make give them a topic, let them discuss the topic, and then take take their scripts, run them on a on a text to voice, and then upload that episode as an entire mm. episode from a discussion by two two instances of of GPT. That would be interesting.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah that, that... So
2: it is very very interesting. I uh, I think in the interest of time, uh, could you discuss uh, the AI safety part, please? Because I think uh, I've also seen that is a big thing, and uh, actually I think currently there are some uh, proposals to limit the 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 deployment of AI models because they're like on a daily basis they are being deployed. Someone is deploying some uh, model. I think uh, what do you think about that? And uh, maybe you can give us a broad overview, an overview of uh, so that we can understand that also. How secure are we?
0: So actually this is like, yeah, this is like my specialty in AI at the moment. This is what I dedicate most of my time to AI safety and its research. So I'd say, I'd start with a simple analogy that, and this is in like Nick Bostrom said this in the super intelligence book. It says that the reason why human beings who are physically weaker than gorillas, you know gorillas, the animal, the reason Mm -hmm. that their fate is in our hands is because of our superior intelligence. So the analogy is you do not actually want a being that is way more intelligent than you, that either A, hates you, or more likely doesn't care about you. So let's talk doesn't about something feelings. called... Yeah, What's doesn't it? really care about you. It doesn't hate you, but doesn't care about you, which is where the <laughs> the whole AI safety debate comes in. So there's something called goal misgeneralization, where you can tell AI, you can build a super smart AI and tell it, you know what, I want you to create as many cans of Red Bull as possible. And this AI, since it's super intelligent, has access to self-driving trucks, self-driving machinery that can dig up iron ore. It has access to a super huge factory. But at the same time, maybe it hid a capability of its own to be able to break the current, you know, non-quantum compliant encryption techniques so what this ai does it takes its command very very literally create as many red bull cans as possible so you can drive down the cost of red bull okay so what it does is it has control of the machines it decides you know what there's an iron ore mine right under there's a super amount of iron ore given the amount of data that you already know of how the world works it can already deduce there's a super amount of iron ore under that nuclear factory right there, but actually humans don't know. So what I'll do is, I'll use my capabilities of breaking (laughs) encryption. Yeah, it, it sounds utopian, but this is something that can actually happen. It sounds utopian since it's super smarter than us. It's AGI, Artificial General Intelligence. I'll use my capabilities to break encryption standards to go into that nuclear plant cause a meltdown and then after all the people have left and all of it has been leveled i'll use my self-driving trucks to go and mine that ore and bring it to the factory and create as many red bull cans as possible sounds crazy but is it not possible it is possible (laughs) if we have ai that really isn't aligned with human values so that's one of the biggest problems right now the whole Developments in AI is usually split in several camps, but two of the most prominent are capabilities and safety. We want, and it's still philosophically debatable that even human beings not don't really know exactly what they want. How can we abstract away the ability of alignment to computers and actually explain it to them in a way that makes sense? So I feel that's one of the biggest opportunities for any software engineer who is a bit math savvy to just go into these realms and like try and understand what's happening and one of the biggest resources i recommend is a resource called the artificial general intelligence safety fundamentals agisf it's offered by blue.impact.com and in it you will learn about goal misgeneralization interpretability why we need to actually understand what ai is doing and it brings back to the whole conversation of why there was a letter an open letter for a moratorium of AI capabilities until a certain threshold is met for AI safety, but the jury is still out. It's actually, that is a political move by like people who are like behind and organizations who are behind the cutting edge to actually try and catch up. Um, It's a whole space of AI governance and yeah, that's why safety is such a massive, massive priority.
1: Nice. So the anxiety is justified.
0: To be honest, for me, I I do feel so. Like, the anxiety is justified. The, The abilities that we assign to a being that is way more superior to us at the moment are in our hands. And how much it should care about us and act as our, like, our servant is up to us. We do not want a master over us who is an AI overlord who really, at the very least, doesn't care about you. Uh-huh. He may not necessarily hate you and want to destroy humanity, but he at least doesn't care about you. Do not want someone that is way smarter or a being that is way smarter than you, which is AGI. Okay. Uh, sure. Nice.
1: Yeah. So 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 we should expect that we should expect Netflix is definitely working on such a series. So yeah. That that really. would be awesome. That would be awesome. <laughs> Sorry for the gloom. That that was a big gloom, yeah, man. you know. Man. I'm like I'm like yeah, super about- gloom. I'm here thinking about how Epic Games is making graphics better with AI, and then I'm like, "Yo, yo man, yo man, you're <laughs> going to play better. FIFA, FIFA 24 is going to be way better."
0: <laughs> yeah, there's there's an alternate reality to uh, this.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um. So I I I think we're we've come to the end of our discussion. Um, an extremely fruitful discussion. That was um uh, very interesting. Yeah. And yeah, at the at the very end, uh, unless there's something else. Nope. I would like to yeah. thank you team for
2: accepting to talk to us yeah
1: yeah at the, at the I've very learned end a of... lot <laughs>
0: yeah I, i'm I'm super glad that you like called me in and it was an awesome conversation. I learned a lot too, like just a refresher of reminding yeah. myself what g p t actually <laughs> means <laughs> Sure.
1: yeah, so at the very end of every episode we like to um Get get a glimpse into the mind of our guests. So you just tell us something that you're currently interested in, whether it is a book, a movie, or just something, or even or something uh, interesting. Your
2: your sort of building that is open
0: source, and we can go look at it. Right, open source. I'm not too sure because most of my work is most of like the work I do is like belonging to an organization. But um, something. How it have been developing lately? Is like trying to read as many scientific papers as possible. And that sounds like the most boring thing. Like that's not something you would say to your friend. Oh yeah, let's go read a paper. But (laughs) yeah, that's something I've been like trying to, that's a habit I've been trying to develop lately. And for me, it's been super high leverage. It's helping me like understand this space way more than I thought.
1: Nice. Nice. So, Uh, yeah. So we are going to add uh, um, all links and sort of, yeah, all links to things that you've mentioned, some of the papers you've mentioned in the show notes. And, yeah, where can the people find you, Tim?
0: Right. So, um, wow, actually it just hit me that I don't have much of a public presence, but the most easy place you can get me, maybe is on LinkedIn at timk.sankara. So that's my LinkedIn. I'm not really active on other socials. Twitter, it's sankara underscore tim and on github it's tim sankara like one word t-i-m-s-a-n-k-a-r-a if you have like an interesting project you want us to collaborate on or maybe a paper especially now that i mean to research a paper that you want us to like replicate
1: i'd be super interested in helping out um, again thank you so much tim for coming on thank you so much Haman, for 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 co-hosting this with me um this is the Concurrency Podcast. We we like to say we do this weekly, we don't. We do this like twice a month. And yeah, you can find us on Twitter at ConcurrencyPod. You can shoot us an email at gmail.com. I was your host, Steve Kubica, and my good friend here. I'm Aman Kibue. Fantastic. And yeah, catch you in the next cheers, one. Cheers, cheers, team. Yeah, bye. Bye everyone,
0: cheers.